Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you have championship DNA, then you know it's time to chase wins. We're uh, chasing wins this year. This is Chasing Wins. Hello and welcome back to the Chasing Wins Podcast. I'm here again with my guy, Jim. Um, make sure to download the Odyssey app and uh, turn on the auto-download feature so you can get new episodes when they drop right, right away on whatever platform you uh, listen to your episodes on. So, Jim, um, obviously we've uh, had a little bit of time since we last spoke and Steph dropped the documentary um, and he's been pretty active in the media space as of late, just kind of, you know, t- taking interviews and giving some sound bites and nuggets uh, in terms of his mindset and his thought process going into next season. What is, you know, we, we've kind of had a collection of these quotes. Um, what's kind of your take on where he kind of sees the team going and how he wants to approach next season overall based on, you know, what he said? Mm, okay, so I think, you know, I feel like Steph made it clear even during the playoffs what he wanted. And I, I guess you can say that he's been a little more vocal in terms of just voicing, you know, ever since Poole got traded, he's been kind of saying, he basically said Poole didn't really fit with the Warriors. Uh, not in those words, but, you know, kind of suggested it in that manner. And, you know, because talking about like, oh, experience and, players who have been there and um understanding what the uh what the true goal is and all that kind of stuff right Uh, whether it's about pool whether it's about kuminga what it's just generally about young players who haven't been there don't know what it takes to get there uh don't understand uh what's at stake uh how they need to sacrifice and those kinds of things so yeah i i think he has a sense of urgency about going into next season and understanding the limited uh, amount of opportunities that are left in his career uh, while he's still in his peak in his prime, which he did say to some form of media that he feels like he's still very much in his prime, which is, which is great news for us Warriors fans and in general, because uh, we don't know when that's going to end. Uh, one day before you know it, there's some kind of a decline uh, in any superstar ever. So, and we don't know what that's going to look like. And we don't know where the decline is going to come. Usually it comes on the defensive end, uh, more so than the offensive end. So, and that's, that's when players begin to show signs of declining and that's when their roles diminish and things like this. And so we don't know when that's going to be, but Curry's not there yet. He's still very spry and ready to go. So, yeah, so he's just he just has a great sense of urgency about what needs to happen moving forward. I feel like I wish he had more of that mindset last year because last year was such a massive opportunity 
uh, when you look at how things ended, uh, you see how the Heat looked pretty limited and pretty beatable. You know, if, so if the Warriors went all the way, like who thinks that the Warriors wouldn't have been able to beat the Heat? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. We would have beat them for sure, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I understand the Nuggets were a powerful team, but they have the best counter against Jokic. So that's another beatable team that they they ultimately did not beat because they never got there, right? So, so yeah, I, I do wish that more of that urgency. He, I wish he voiced his opinions more on the things that were going on in the regular season, uh, that they needed other bodies and other pieces to ensure that they have enough going into the playoffs, which they did not. So... So, yeah, it, it is a little bit refreshing in the sense that he doesn't usually speak up in this manner and he does sound more urgent now. So it, it's it's a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm 100% in agreement with you. Like, I think it's striking how vocal he's been from a public standpoint, you know, just discussing um, what not only went wrong last year, but what needs to be corrected and and um, set into stone this year so we don't have a repeat of last season. Like, he's used the word agendas, right? Like, putting agendas to the side, putting, you know, your own, you know, um, like, emotions or your own kind of expectations and just focus on winning, right? Having a collective mindset, 1 through 15, that at the end of the day, the most important thing is to win basketball games and, and ultimately a championship. So, yeah, like he doesn't necessarily, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen him as, um, you know, as urgent, like you said, kind of from a public space and, and speaking about this. And it's funny because even, even if, um, like a few weeks ago, like he, he's been like, this was, this was during, um, the, the underrated when, when, when they dropped the documentary, he had been on ESPN, he had been on a bunch of media platforms and they would ask him, you know, a bunch of things with, you know, he's been on with Marcus Thompson and uh, Monty Poole and with Logan Murdoch. So he's been around and, and they've asked him why like last season went wrong, what needs to change for next year. And he's kind of echoed the same sentiment, you know, across the board. So, yeah, I think I think it's uh it's like you said a breath of fresh air. And um I think it's important to rectify those and, and smooth those issues early so they don't come up during the season when you're in the fight, when you're trying to win basketball games and guys aren't happy because of playing time or minutes or opportunity, you know? And so, yeah, I just think um you know, the just his outspokenness overall has been something that has been out of character in a good way. Um, yeah. yeah, I think he's been. I mean, because of the because of the documentary, he's he's just been talking to anybody and everybody lately. You know, he's been kind of the main character, uh, you know, within the NBA in terms of this off season and all the noise that's being made. You know, whether it's his uh, the the celebrity golf tournament uh, where he won that one. Uh, he puts out this documentary, underrated, and and he's very. A lot of people are throwing a lot of questions at him, so he's providing a lot of a lot of various answers, and he's keeping himself super relevant, uh, even though that's the off season. And so, uh, it's it's been cool to watch. 
it, it feels like in years past, though, he would kind of take the more political, like, you know, the, the more politically correct stance and, and response where he would be more, um, you know, like he wouldn't necessarily give as much detail or depth as to these sorts of things. I feel like he's been a bit more comfortable just sharing, like, the more the more of the intimacies of like what went wrong and what needs to be corrected you know what i'm saying i feel like he'd kind of give more surface level answers in years past but i feel you know especially the last month or so he's been quite transparent about what went wrong last year um and i think you know like he even when you hear him talk about the core right he doesn't talk about it as if like in an endearing way like yeah, me, Clay, and Draymond, I, you know, I believe in what we can do, and I believe in, you know, what we're able to do. Like, he still says those things, but he talks about it, like you said, that word urgency. He talks about the core, like, yeah, there's a timeline to this thing. We need to maximize the core. We need to maximize how many years we have left because, you know, our careers aren't promised. You know, this timeline isn't promised. So um, his his antenna has been up. It feels like since the end of last year, like you could see when after losing to the Lakers, like there was a sense of frustration, disappointment. I think he said, you know, this quote kind of stuck with me in the press conference. He, he was like, it was like a shock to him, like a shock to the system. Like he, he just was in shock that they lost. And like, cause he just put so much into last year, you know, he had the labrum tear. He had that like um, very unique lower leg injury. Um, and, you know, towards the kind of middle end of the year. And so he was battling through injuries, coming back. Guys were, you know, um, like Wiggins was in and out of the lineup, comes back to the in the King series. You had Clay and Jordan Poole kind of very hot and cold throughout the year, inconsistent. Uh, our bench was not getting the job done with Jamichael and, and a bunch of the, these pieces that just didn't live up to what we needed uh, on a championship team. So, it was just such a rough year all around, and I didn't even mention the punch, which kind of started the year off really poorly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think – I just think he's trying to set the standard and set the set the uh, tone out the gate. So everybody has that collective common goal and mindset that um, a championship is, is what we're going after. And I think part of it is like, you know, if he's directing this message towards, you know, a few players, I think it feels like it's more towards like the Kamingas, the Moody's and possibly like the CP threes and clays from that standpoint. Now I'm not saying like it was like a, like a shot at them or like he was necessarily like talking directly to them per se, but I'm more so saying that if I were to take this message that, that he's been echoing throughout this, you know, these past few weeks, it feels as if they apply to Clay, CP3, Kaminga, Moody best. Because those were the guys like CP3 might want to start, right? So he'd have to put that agenda aside. He may want to, you know, play a certain amount of minutes or have a certain role. But if the common goal and interest is winning, like he's going to have to kind of sacrifice, right? Steph uses that word a lot. So, and then that applies to Clay as well. Like Clay may not, uh, you know, he can't come into camp out of shape. He's going to have to you know, be tempered and reeled back when it comes to shot selection and playing within the offense. Last season was got out of hand multiple times. They had multiple team meetings about about this. Like, I'm not making this up. This is something that's been on the record. Jermichael Green spoke about that, um, about this particular thing with Clay. And then 
you know, with Kaminga and Moody, obviously they're young players. They have expectations. You heard, you know, obviously we're going to talk about the Kaminga quote um, from earlier today, but, you know, they have kind of hopes and dreams for themselves in their careers. So they want to play and they want to have run and they want to, you know, I think Steph actually said this in the Logan Murdoch podcast. He's like, you know, we have about seven guys who can start and seven guys who can close, right? And he's probably talking about GP2 and Chris Paul, and maybe you could throw Kaminga if he takes a leap, right? Like, we have a we have a handful of players and maybe even Saric, right? Like, but he said if you do the math, like, there's going to be two or three players that are left out of that equation. So you're going to have to sacrifice, whether it means starting, whether it means closing, like, whatever that looks like in terms of winning, whatever the best route and path forward to win is, they're going to take that path, and we're going to need everybody to be on the same page for this, you know, ultimate goal. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a really great summary you just provided. You know, it, it was a tumultuous season. It was a tumultuous season in so many different ways, which you don't expect coming off a championship season, but... You know, yeah. The front office made the moves that they made. You know, they chose the kids over the veterans that helped them actually win a title as if that's an easy thing to do, which they obviously learned last year that it wasn't. They learned two years ago that it wasn't. You know, it's not, this is not easy. It's never easy. All the championships that they won, people love to say these were easy. You know, no championship is ever easy. It's a challenge. It's a journey. You know, it, it's it's difficult and there are many challenges for each and every season. You know what I mean? So nothing is ever to be taken for granted. And uh, I feel that the organization collectively has, you know, kind of gone that route of showing, showing more urgency because Bob Myers wasn't doing that. So now Mike Dunleavy's in there and he's showing that sense of urgency. I look forward to, I, I heard that he, Recently was on a podcast with uh, Tim Kawakami. I look forward to listening to that. So, uh, and it's, again, it's good to hear Curry take on more of a leadership role and being more vocal and being more blunt and being more honest about what needs to be done because these obvious things that need to be done have not been done to his surprise, I guess. Uh, you know, for us, you know, you could kind of see some of those things develop in real time uh, where it did need to be addressed. It's just that it seems like they never really properly did so. And last year showed. So, yes, we're absolutely expecting, you know, different results this time around. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Absolutely. Um, I want to touch on the Steve Kerr, uh, Chris Paul dynamic. They have. Um, so they spoke in Vegas, according to, to Steve himself. He was on ESPN uh yesterday and he was basically talking about you know cp3 and they they spoke in vegas uh steve also said he watched cp3 and steph work out and he spoke to him about his role and kind of what he wants to see from him this year his concerns so basically to to summarize like steve said last season we weren't controlled enough we uh were i think he said you know second worst team in turnovers we were first in pace Obviously, that's not a good uh, blend. It's not a good uh, mix when you're playing fast and you're you're also turning the ball over at a high rate. So, you know, like um, he basically wanted to echo the sentiment that he expects, you know, CP3 to be a controlled, uh, steady force, uh, someone that can, you know, in key moments be be um, a steady hand for us. And 
you know, obviously, uh, Steve also mentioned that CP3's ability to play in the pick and roll, that mid range, and 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 generate quality looks, uh, possession in, possession out, is something that you know is an asset of his, as well as CP3's ability to you know have you know there's going to be a, a learning curve in terms of um, uh, acclimating to what the Warriors do from a motion standpoint as well. But Steve mentioned both. The sounds more of like a balance is that Steve's kind of aiming for between the pick and roll and the motion and understanding what CP3 skill set is, his strong suit, his strengths, but also within the confines of what the Warriors system demands. So and 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 on top of that, kind of correcting the the issues from last season, like being such a high turnover team, being a team that played a little erratic and reckless at times. Having a guy that can kind of settle things down, be a be a steady hand, be a be a calm calming force. And so, yeah, what are your thoughts on kind of Steve's comments? And I know you saw the video, so and you had your own thoughts on that. So, um, what, what what do you think? Okay, so this some of the stuff that he was talking about is just nothing new. Uh, for us in terms of the things that we talk about throughout the course of a regular season. As you know, I've been, ta- I've been using the word balance for a number of years now because there is a lack of it in the Warriors offense and it's a huge problem for them. And it's just something that Steve Kerr has never properly addressed. He just kind of, he's robotic in the way he coaches and just, he does the same thing over and over and over again, year after year after Rigid, year. Rigid, stubborn, right. He doesn't adapt necessarily as well as maybe yeah. one should. Especially in the regular season. And you can't take the regular season for granted. The regular season is when you make adjustments and figure things out and practice things that you know you're going to be using come playoff time. But Steve basically almost never does that. And this past particular season, that really hurt them because – you know, we always expect the Warriors to turn to the pick and roll uh, against the best teams because it's the most effective weapon. Even Steve Kerr has anal- uh, acknowledged that fact uh, a- after the season ended. So he knows that, and yet it, he doesn't work on the various ways that you can attack in the pick and roll with different kind of personnel, depending on what kind of matchups you're against, what kind of players, what kind of talents are in the paint. Uh, or if it's a player that's out in the perimeter and that's a good defender, like you have to have various ways to be able to attack and adapt in the pick and roll with the personnel that you have. But because they never work on that in the regular season, uh, shit hit the fan uh, in the, in the Lakers series, right? Cause number one, they didn't even start with a pick and roll and they didn't do it until like the final six minutes of that first game. And then they blew it. Right. And and then they try to use the pick and roll, but then as soon as the Lakers made an adjustment, which is which was to take AD away from the initial screener by switching the defense, right, so that he can stay camped in the paint rather than having to go out into the perimeter. So then the Warriors, uh, they, and then and then it was Wiggins who was trying to set the screen uh, because AD was on him or something like that, and and uh, the Lakers defense was able to hold up. And the Warriors didn't know what to do. So then they abandoned it kind of altogether at different times rather than having counters to those things, right? So these are major issues. And balance is something that I've just been asking for forever because Steph Curry is statistically the best pick and roll player in the league. 
points per possession. He produced, he was the most efficient in, in pick and rolls, but then he's also like 73rd in frequency percent uh, compared to other guys that are, that regularly use the pick and roll. Like Curry, when you compare them, when you compare him to some of these guys like Trey, Trey Young, uh, John Morant, these guys that who are heavy pick and roll users, uh, and they use way more pick and rolls than Curry does in the regular season. And yet Curry is way more efficient than them in the pick and roll. And yet the Warriors are 29th in pick and roll usage. They're in the bottom of the ranks every single year when it comes to pick and roll usage. And they just don't utilize it enough. And you think about what their road record was and how bad they were on the road. And yet they didn't utilize more pick and roll where you're directly using Steph Curry on the ball uh, because, because you need to. You need to put the ball in your best player's hands so that he can create uh, the, easy, the most easy opportunities uh, to create the most efficient kind kinds of shots for the team. And uh, they just didn't utilize that enough. They went to other guys that are role players uh, that are just, they are not as good on the road. And Steve never made those adjustments. That's why the Warriors were atrocious on the road. 11 and 30. It's unfathomable. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things there that kind of, by Steve Kerr saying that, oh, I kind of like the idea of, mm, what did he say? He said something along the lines of, um, let's see, I kind of, like the idea of finding a better balance this year on offense. And then, like you said, he talked about Chris's ability to play well in the pick and roll. So maybe the Warriors will finally not be bottom of the ranks and pick and roll usage next year. Maybe they'll be more like, I don't know, if there's something like 17th or 15th, I think they'll be in really good shape. And so this is the first time that Kerr has really addressed some of these issues and saying that, uh, he's maybe looking to do things differently next year. I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Um, but it's generally a good sign that he he's kind of addressing these things because again he never really has. He's always kind of attacked the pick and roll, saying that he doesn't necessarily like it because uh, it stagnates the offense in terms of keeping guys in rhythm. Uh, he wants everybody to touch the ball constantly. But the fact of the matter is NBA basketball isn't always like that. And guys have to um, accept certain roles. And there are many guys who actually prefer those roles because it's simplified and they know exactly what needs to be done from their end rather than being involved constantly all the time, even though maybe they're not the best at doing, you know, being involved all the time. Some guys are better at just giving a role or two, you know, simplify it. So, so we'll see what those changes are come next season, but it's good thing. It's a good thing that these things are being discussed and being uh, publicly kind of addressed. Absolutely. No, absolutely. It's, we need, um, we need to change up the offense. That's for sure. Uh, even though, you know, we were 10th in offense last year, but the year before that we were 17th and it's clear that, even though offense wasn't the issue last year per se, because, you know, it was really our defense in the, in the playoffs, our offense is kind of what cost us against the Lakers because our defense was good enough to beat them. Um, even though at times our defense was, was bad, like in game 
In game three, it was not good. But in game four, it was very good. In game five, it was very good. Um, and in, even in game one, it was it was decent. So it was really our offense that that kind of cost us that series. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, having a guy that can operate in, in multiple uh, sets can kind of create his own shot over, you know, mismatches and attack matchups, uh, create for others at a high level, and run the most simple offense in the NBA, the, the high ball screen, um, and, and also the pick and roll just in general, right? Because the high ball screen pick and roll is a little bit different, but they yield uh, similar results, whether it be just uh, getting into that mid-range, sl- slithering around a screen for a driving kick, it, it, it generates quality looks. So um, my expectation is Steve kind of adjusts to CP3 skill set. Um, as much as CP3 adjusts to what the Warriors system is. Um, because I do think CP3 can thrive with what we do. I know we play at a pace that CP3 may not be accustomed to. But Klay uh, Thompson, Cam Johnson, like I view them in a very similar light. Like, the same way that Cam Johnson averaged damn near, what, 16 points on the Suns. Um, or, you know, he, he was just a consistent. And Clay's obviously better, but in terms of just off the ball, moving as a shooter, a guy like that, like I think you can run similar sets that the Suns ran off the ball for Cam Johnson as the Warriors do with Clay. Like they, they run similar motion stuff. Um, same thing with Bridges. Like I view Wiggins in that same mold as well. Like, you can argue, you know, and, and then you can even argue with Kaminga and Moody um, that they do some stuff that, that you know, uh, complement Chris Paul's skill set as well. Uh, and from a driving kick standpoint, from a pick and roll standpoint, diving, uh, like you can say Kaminga is similar to DeAndre Ayton in his, with what he does, right? So there are so many ways, so many creative opportunities for, for Steve to explore. And and really um, squeeze the juice out of out of this roster because these guys can complement each other, man. And and it's clear. And, and I'm speaking mostly offensively, right? Defensively is another story. We're gonna have to kind of rely on Draymond and Wiggs and GP two and Loon. Um, and hopefully, you know, obviously it's you, we need one of Steph or CP or uh, Clay to step up and just be solid, but that'll kind of sort itself out as long as there's a collective mindset that everyone's on the same page and we're, we're disciplined. I think we'll be fine. I think the offense can really explode for us though. If we just kind of explore more things. And I think Steve, it has no choice because again, um, the worst thing you can do is force Chris Paul to, to do something that doesn't optimize his abilities and kind of abandon He's the one thing he's great at. So I do expect more of a balance this year. I think we'll probably be maybe, I mean, I wouldn't say we're like low in pick and roll frequency next year, but I think we'll, we'll be around 17, something like that, like 14th, 17th. Like I, you know, we may not be dead 15th, but we'll, we'll be floating somewhere in that middle tier of like, we, we run a decent amount of pick and roll. And I think we, we have no choice because, again, in that second unit, we can really uh, separate ourselves against most teams. 
having Chris Paul playing against second stringers. Like, you look at uh, backup point guards across the NBA, like, outside of Boston, uh, and you could have said Memphis last year, but Memphis now, you know, Tyus Jones is gone. So outside of Boston, like, there really aren't many teams with, like, a very good backup point guard. Boston has Malcolm Brogdon, right? You look at even the Lakers, Dennis Schroeder's gone, right? So you got D'Lo, you got Gabe Vincent. I think Gabe Vincent's a good player, but he's no, he's no Chris Paul, right? You know, so you look at Denver, Reggie Jackson. Damn sure ain't no Chris Paul, right? You look at um, even, you know, um, you know Boston we mentioned, Miami. I don't think they have a backup point guard near Chris Paul's level. And those were teams that made the conference finals last year or the finals. So all of these great teams that we that we've seen, even look at the Suns or the even the Kings, like Davion Mitchell's a great player, but he's not Chris Paul. Chris Paul is within, you know, among the top two or three best backup point guards. On top of that, and we're gonna move on to uh, uh, the next kind of talking point here, it with Kaminga. Like Kaminga's probably also gonna have to take a step. And CP3 is going to be a big reason for that, if that's the case. Um, just to touch on this really quickly, while we're on the topic of, of CP3, Kaminga kind of came out. There's an article post on ESPN today about his um, his just development. And he kind of spoke on what he expects next season. Uh, had like a little interview. And basically he's saying that, you know, he understands that a lot is expected of him that, you know, uh, he has high expectations for himself and that there is some pressure, but it's on him to go out there and perform. He expects to take a step next season. Um, and so, you know, year three for Jonathan Kaminga. Uh, let's just kind of briefly touch on, you know, the, the the quotes that he gave and also, you know, do how do we feel about CP3 Kaminga and, and kind of the likelihood that he takes enough of a step to where he'll be a, definitive rotation piece and hopefully a viable playoff option. The quote basically that Kaminga gave was essentially that he expects to take a step next season and that, that, you know, there's, there's obviously pressure on him and the expectations are high, but it's on him to kind of um, take those, take that step and, and to perform. But he, he basically echoed, like he understands that taking a leap next season is, is kind of a, common understanding among coaches players from like organization like he and and even himself that he understands that that is that's going to be you know on on his shoulders so what are your just kind of thoughts on on that likelihood but also um the importance of it happening overall okay so First thing is we were talking about the offense, right? Uh, I just want to kind of close that part of the conversation from my part, uh, from my side. And uh, I just want to remind you, you talked about turnovers as well, like Steve did. Uh, what he didn't mention is that they were actually bottom f- uh, bottom five. Uh, I mean, for the last three years, they've been bottom five in the league and taking care of the ball. This year, uh, the last two years, they were uh, the second worst and the worst. And the year before that, they were the 25th worst team in the league in terms of taking care of the ball. So that just shows you that that motion offense is just, it's not effective. It's not the same way that 
like the Spurs on it, for example. The Spurs take care of the ball. They, you know, they don't just move the ball without rhyme or reason just for the sake of moving the ball because that's the concept of it. You know what I mean? Like you look at the Kings, you know, it's they move the ball with a purpose and with play with players that make sense and they don't just run things to the ground. You know what I mean? They they mix it up really well. And so that's why they have an amazing offense and yet they take care of the ball. I mean, that's a part of a great offense. It is taking care of the ball, which means for the last three years, the Warriors have been running garbage. You can't be at the bottom of the league in turnovers. You can't be right next to the Houston Rockets, like a G League level team, uh, you know, in terms of taking care of the ball. So it's a huge factor. And the pick and roll, uh, that gives the responsibility to the best ball handlers on your team. So that will naturally turn the turn. It will naturally curtail the amount of turnovers that your team can have. So uh, if the Warriors can somehow be in the middle of the pack in terms of pick and roll usage rate in the regular season, like you are hoping for. And like you said, that would fundamentally, that would be a fundamental change for the Warriors that we haven't seen in the Steve Kerr era. So that, that will be a huge thing to watch out for. And, uh, you know, the whole motion versus pick and roll and that kind of thing, variations of offense, honestly, like that could be an entire uh, podcast episode on its own. So uh, maybe we can do that at some point. But the issue with him and the in the comment that he made for me personally is that he used the word superstar. Like he says... People expect him to become a superstar. And that really throws me off because it makes it makes it sound like it almost makes it sound like he's deluded in some way. Like, how are you going to be a superstar on the Warriors? You are a role player on the Warriors. You have a specific role to play. And the things that you have to do for the Warriors are pretty simple. Defend, rebound, and rebound against all, no matter who's in the paint area, basically. You have it to box to be, out your own man. Especially against fours. Especially against fours. Yeah, so against this is fours, a problem. Not he, just threes. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the biggest thing, is that he has to be able to hold ground and be able to play the power forward position. And, you know, it, <laughs> the notion that he has to be a superstar is insane to me. Like, what... Who is he talking to? Like, who is saying that? Nobody is saying that Kuminga needs to be a superstar unless he goes away from the Warriors and plays for a different team. Then if he wants to try to become a star, become a scorer and all these things, okay. But that's not where he is. He's with the Warriors. He's he's coming off the bench and he's there to play a very specific role. And for him to be like, I, I understand that people are trying, uh, people think that I need to be a superstar. Like he's deluded. That is a deluded take on himself. That is not what the Warriors need from him. So hopefully that gets straightened out. That concerns me because that makes it seem like if he doesn't get that kind of role in some way, then he's going to be upset again next year. So he needs to get that. He really needs to get that in order uh, or else or else the Warriors may have to move him uh, in the middle of the season, which is something that they honestly should have done this past season, and they didn't do it. So they are still holding on to this problem and potential issue where, okay, well, we're going to leave the backup power forward spot 
open so that you, Kuminga, can take that spot and evolve. But that's what they did last year, and look what happened. He that's was un- partly true. That's he partly was unavailable true. in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, not because he was hurt, but because he wasn't doing his job. And right. Kerr decided he was not reliable enough to play. Right. Uh, which, again, I, I think, you know, Kerr, that was that was on Kerr. I think he was overly harsh over a, a possession or two. If he was doing that throughout the course of an entire game, that's another story. But if he did it one time or a couple of times, like, you can't just give up on your only available powerful actual and, and athlete, guy who's capable of playing power forward. We had no athleticism out there. Yeah. I mean, he's also like probably our best uh, vertical threat. Right. Yeah, I mean, outside of GP, I mean, yeah. and weights. Absolutely. He's a monster. He's a monster around the rim. Like the guy, the way his ability to finish the way his ability to get there, uh, you know, in like a second, you know, there's just no reaction time for the defense to recover when he's going downhill. So going back to your kind of thing about his dynamics with now that Chris Paul is on the team and how they can work together. I mean, if they play the pick and roll, uh, you know, with, with Kuminga rolling through the rim and Chris Paul is controlling that, I think Kuminga can absolutely just walk into 10 points, even off the bench. Right. So, and that would be great. He was averaging 10 points last year. That's the crazy part. Like, he might even see closer to 13 or something, you know, like even a bump. Mm, you know? That would, I don't, mm, yeah, maybe. Cause because he's here's the thing, he, he's going to get more minutes. Like there won't be Anthony Lamb. There won't be like Jermichael. Like he's, it's on him, right? Cause he kind of echoed that, that sentiment in the article. He's like, he's going to, he knows he's going to have the opportunity. So the pressure is on him to take that step. Right. So. Yeah, as long as he doesn't have this notion that he has to be some kind of superstar, you can right, be a, right. you can like his mindset needs to be I need to be a star in my role. Right, right. Of course. Right. And that is not just offense, not just rolling through the room and finishing, but doing the intangibles, doing the things that help mm-hmm. your team win and put them in position to succeed and doing things that keeps your team connected on the defensive end. Yes. You know, when yes. you don't rebound and when you don't do these fundamental things and when you're not set out to do that specifically, then you're breaking the the um, the unity of the defense. And that means your defense is broken when you're out there. Uh, and if your defense is inconsistent and they lose trust in your ability to cover the basics, such as rebounding at the power forward position, then you're no good. You're not a championship caliber player. You don't know what your role is. You don't you're not. um the kind of player that is built to play that kind of role, which means you're not the right player for the Warriors. So Kuminga has an opportunity to prove that that's the player that he can be. The question is, does he want to be that player? It doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like it to me, based on the notion that he used the word superstar. That word should be nowhere did, near. Did he use that? Or, did he use that, or was that the article like headline? Yeah, I saw. I saw. That's the word that I saw him use. Oh, okay, I, was, okay. I couldn't believe it. So yeah. So let me ask you this, right? Um, I'll be honest with you. I think so. I just and I've thought about these comparisons. So CP3 and Phoenix played next to Bridges and and uh, Cam Johnson, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay. And then you have DeAndre Ayton. Uh, and I used to view, uh, you know, Moody and 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 Kaminga, and I still do to some extent as like a Bridges and Cam. Like these young, 
you know, early 20s players who are in year three, year four, whatever, and they get their, their game just takes another step. Like they, they're taken to another level because CP is able to elevate them. They're, they're just playing really well off the ball. Uh, the sets that the Suns run are very creative, like the Spain pick and roll, a lot of, you know, various cutting actions and, and high ball screen stuff. So I used to, you know, I was viewing, and I still think Moody and the Cam Johnson thing is a pretty fair comp, uh, even though Moody's not as good as Cam Johnson. But in terms of just stylistically, the catch and shoot, the, the movement off the ball, like side of the frame. Um, but I do think, you know, even though Kaminga and Bridges have some similarities, like the POA defense, uh, the ability to kind of just, you know, attack in space at times, but they are a bit different in other ways. Like uh, Bridges tends to kind of live in the mid-range. Kaminga can can shoot the mid-range for sure. He can operate in in that area. But um, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. <clears throat> About Kaminga, and it's this. So essentially, going into his third year, if they're trying to say that they're trying to give him an elevated role from what he had last year. Right. Okay. More or less, you're kind of saying that, okay, we're ready to give you the opportunity to play the auto role. That's essentially, that's essentially what I'm hearing, which means, but here's the thing though. I think, I think Sarich is going to be more of the auto role in in, in this case. I mean, I kind of maybe think that too, a little bit, but defensively, like the guy has nowhere That's near true. the versatility of an auto. Right. He can't guard perimeter players, right? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Like he, so he's more like a Bielita in a way. So yeah, he's like a blend. Me, he's like a blend. Yeah. yeah he's like a sure. You could say he's a blend, but like he's not he's certainly not more efficient than Otto from an offensive standpoint. Sure. Nowhere sure, near yeah. Bielita. Um you look at his overall career in terms of his field goal percentage and things like that. Like last year was probably an out, last year was an outlier compared to what he shot for his career, which is like 43, 44%, which is not great at the power forward center position. It's probably because he takes a lot more shots, you know, outside the paint than he does inside of it. Uh, but there are some uh, holes to consider uh, in terms of his overall fit with, let's say, a closing lineup. You know what I mean? I think you right. said that in the past too, that uh, you're not sure that. You want Sarish to be yeah, no, I agree. part of a closing lineup. Right? I don't think he's as good as Otto, but I do think he's better than Belly. It's like, okay. I'm in the, yeah. Okay. So, and, and you know, that's, that's debatable as well. But in terms of Kuminga, do you trust Kuminga to be part of no, a closing lineup next year? Not right now. Not right now. Not, not yet. I'm going to have to see it, right? Like, yeah. Last season, I mean, he couldn't crack the playoff rotation. And for better or for worse, like, whether Steve was in the right or the wrong, like, he didn't. Like, he just didn't play well enough to, like, to do it. Like, if he played better, maybe he would have cracked the rotation more consistently, played in the Lakers series. So if he couldn't even crack the rotation, then I will, like, there's just no way I could foresee him closing games. Um, But that's the hope. The hope is that he takes enough of a step to where he can close games. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the case, though. I think GP2 is probably the most likely candidate for that spot. And yeah, then after so, him, Sarich, and then Looney. But Kaminga is probably at the, towards the bottom of the list. I They might even – I mean, remember last season against the Lakers, uh, game four, we closed with Moses Moody. Like, And that obviously, like, you had your objections, and, and, and for good reason. Like, GP2 was – even though, like, 
you know, the offense was a little bit uh, in the mud. Like, GP2 is just a better player. He's a better fit. And he would have gotten some stops um, that we weren't able to get down the stretch. So, yeah, I mean, we were closing with Moses Moody over Kaminga. So, I mean, at this stage, I can't say definitively, nowhere near definitively, that Kaminga's ready for that, you know, situational role to close games, especially in the playoffs. But if he can take a step, maybe he can get there. So really, that's the big question this year. That's the big mystery is like, what does Jonathan Kaminga look like from a rotation standpoint? And then is it good enough to close games consistently? Right. So these are the questions we're going to have to answer. And and I was going to say this earlier, like I mentioned the Bridges comparison, but I actually view Kaminga as more like DeAndre Ayton. And I know, like, DeAndre's, like, seven-footer, and he's, like, a, or, like, 6'11", he's a center. Like, I get all that. But if you watch how the Suns run their sets, like, the smartest way to use Kaminga is the way the Suns use DeAndre is literally, like, diving. Just pick and roll, ball screen, diving, diving, diving. Like, in the Spain pick and roll, you have Devin Booker flaring out off a curl and DeAndre Ayton diving at the rim. And Chris Paul is right there in the mid-range. And he has three options, take the mid-range, kick out for the three, or find DeAndre at the basket. So imagine if that's Clay coming off the curl. Imagine if that's Kaminga downhill, cutting cutting down the middle, and then CP3 is in the mid-range. And and now, like, I view Kaminga as DeAndre Ayton in terms of, like, he probably fits, like, a play finisher type of mold better than a shot creator like a Bridges. Like, Bridges can put the ball on the floor, get his own shot, like, kind of float in that mid-range. He kind of does his own thing. But, like, DeAndre was really, like, spoon-fed. Easy looks, easy, high-quality, efficient shots and shot and a really good shot profile because of the creation of Chris Paul. So I do think Kaminga can really take a step next to CP if we use him closer to DeAndre Ayton than, than, um, than Mikhail Bridges because – I'm telling you, if you watch some of the sets that the Suns ran, you can put Kaminga in those sets, and he would he would do the same thing DeAndre does. Like, with the exception of some, like, post skill work, like DeAndre's really skilled in the post, right? Like the fadeaway and the hook shots or whatever. Mm-hmm. With the exception of some of those, obviously. But, like, some of, like, the diving actions or the cu- like cutting down the middle, um, just, like, dunker spot or, you know, baseline positioning and, uh, mid-range stuff like there's I'm telling you like that's how they should use him this year so I don't even know like these are a bunch of questions we have to answer and we'll find out relatively fast like I think okay. by pre, pre by preseason we're gonna see I'll be honest with you we're gonna see a lot of so you know a lot of people don't pay attention to preseason and whatever I think we should really lock into preseason because preseason is the time where I think we're gonna see all these new sets all these new actions and we're going to experiment and see what works, see what doesn't. And we're going to try to get acclimated on both sides. Like we're going to see CP three, try to run like some split action stuff, maybe, or some, you know, uh, some motion, you know, curls and trying to find guys. And we also might see some really high ball screen stuff with CP in the mid range operating. We might see some uh, evolution and, and a revamped playbook. So, preseason is going to be the time where we're going to be able to highlight and identify the, the, the differences between, you know, this roster and then years past, 
because this roster is very different from a skill set standpoint. And also Kaminga. We're going to see how we use Kaminga and, and that kind of thing. So I, I'm, I'm very interested. Like some part of me is optimistic and excited, but there's a level of like, how is this going to go? Because I'm not necessarily sure that it's going to go right. But I'm also optimistic that it can if these pieces are used properly, you know, but it's on the coach. So I, the reason I asked you that question is because it's, it, the answer to that question is crucial because Kuminga is currently the Warriors' primary backup power forward. And we can talk about GP in the closing lineups uh, and things like that in the upcoming season. But if you remember from two years ago when they won the championship, they used variations, right? Depending on matchups and depending on what specifically you need in specific situations, there were times when uh, they closed the games with Otto. And then there were times when they closed the games with GP. So it it was interchangeable. And And Looney a couple of times, yeah. Sure, depending on what was needed, but they often like to go small to close games, especially right, in the right. playoffs. Yes, and so yes. Looney is often not in there, so it has to be right, GP two right. or another guy. Yes, uh, and yes, yes. and so we're essentially hoping that Kuminga is that guy. There's a chance. I, there's again. a name I didn't mention, and there's a chance Chris Paul might close games. And I know your concerns, and I have the same concerns defensively and rebounding, and we that may not be enough size, right? So if you do CP three, Steph Clay. That's a very small three guard lineup, and it would put a lot of pressure on Draymond and and uh, Wiggins to to just compensate. But yeah. we may see some of that, like especially early in the year. Just to, like Steve is going to have to see what that looks like, because there is a chance that that turns out well, um, because CP three is better than Jordan Poole, like in the clutch, right? We just know like he's just a better decision maker. He's a smarter defender. Uh, he's just he's just better. And he's more skilled overall. So, and he's a better playmaker. So, you combine all these things. Like we've seen Jordan work with that lineup before with Steph, Clay, Draymond, um, and Wiggs. So, and by the way, that lineup wasn't always great though. Like there were times it worked, and there were times it didn't. Right. So, I'm not saying this is something we're gonna go to, but it's something that we're gonna have to explore just to see how it pans out. So we might see Chris Paul close. We might see Dario Saric close. We're going to see maybe some Kaminga, some Moody possibly, and then some GP2, possibly some Looney. Like, and I don't love most of those options. I'm going to be honest. Like, I would prefer a 6'8 wing that can guard multiple positions, shoot the ball, and and make plays and, and defend. Like, and even if he does, even if he can't make plays, just defend and shoot. But like, it, those guys are not necessarily like. I'm literally describing Andre Iguodala, like six, yeah. like I'm t- and I'm talking about years past. Six, seven, six, eight can defend multiple positions and shoot. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? If you're not, if, you're- if you can't be relied upon to close a game, then you can't be part of a play, a powerful playoff. You can't be a powerful rotational piece at power forward for the Warriors if you can't be relied if. If we feel like, oh, we can't play him down the stretch to close the game, like he's not good enough for that. Uh, he's limited and he's still inexperienced, like all these things. Even as a third player or even as a fourth or fifth player, uh, of year player, it takes a long time to be reliable, to be a reliable piece 
to come through for a contending level team. You know, that's a very difficult thing. And, and so this is why I don't understand kind of the gamble that comes with Kuminga. I understand the potential that he has, but that's kind of all it is when it comes to his fit with the Warriors. So it's, it concerns me. I, I would rather have a veteran that I know I can rely on and uh, that a role, a guy that knows exactly what he has to do. There are no questions about what he needs to do. They, the role is super clear. And for Kuminga, it, I still don't feel like it's that. And I still don't think power forward is, you know, where he can really thrive from a defensive standpoint and from a uh, intangible standpoint. So yes, that, that remains a concern. And like you said, if he takes that leap and somehow uh, it becomes a monster on the boards and he just, you know, boxes out amazingly and he prioritizes those things, um, then maybe, but that's a, that's a big if that's a big if. And we also learned that Draymond doesn't really, uh, he's not Kubiga's mentor. We, we've heard him talk about right. that. Right. And to me, it's like, but he's the guy that needs to him and Looney really need to kind of get behind Kuminga to teach him the ways of the mindset mentality and you know those intangibles that allow that would allow a player to be a good rebounder. Uh, but right. that hasn't even been the case. So so yeah, it, that that concerns me. If if there's a spot to fill for the Warriors where they can get a power a backup power forward. Um, just in case Kuminga becomes an issue, I, I think that's something that they really need to consider. And uh, if they don't do that and they just go with Kuminga and we see the first half of the season, and I'm going to be able to tell pretty quickly, honestly. Like last year... I agree. I agree. <laughs> like I could see that, okay, he's not ready once again and this is not going to be different come playoffs. Um, so if that's the case, then hopefully Mike Dunleavy will see that too and he'll make the necessary moves if necessary, but we'll see. 100% agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate everybody for listening. And uh, make sure to download the Odyssey app. We'll, uh, we'll end this here, and uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Um, turn on that auto-download feature, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Twenty four hundred Sports is an Odyssey company. 